Well guys, as usual, when I fill in pinch hit for Brendan and um, Kirby, we've been doing the Heidelberg Catechism and that we're brought to Lord's Day number three in the Catechism. And uh, we shall go through our lesson and I'll try to get us out a little bit early since I think probably seating will be a, somewhat of an issue with one service today upstairs. Uh, so get, let y'all out to get a seat. But just as a reminder of what we've learned uh, from the first couple of lessons uh, is one, we established that man uh, is in a state of depravity um, and that our only comfort from the first question must be in Christ. Uh, so that's essentially the basics of what we've been through. We've looked at our condition, seen that it is not pretty, and also look to what the remedy is. And we know that can only be in Christ uh, in this world or the next. So the catechism moves on this morning uh, asking the question, essentially, did God create us in this estate? Were we created in this mess? So we'll look at questions six through eight. I'll read those and we shall talk about them. I, question six, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? Answer, by no means, but God created man good and after his own image in righteousness and true holiness that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and to praise him. Question seven, whence then proceeds this depravity of the human nature? Answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our nature becomes so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. And finally, question eight. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Answer, indeed, we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Amen. All right, so we start in this lesson with the creation of man. Does anybody have their Bibles, if they could turn to Genesis, um, those of you non-regular readers, that's the first book uh, of the Bible. So Genesis 1, somebody read for me, Genesis 1.27 and then Genesis 1.31. If you have it, just pop your hand up. Mike, Carrie, read it, brother. All right, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's 27. And then... Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Amen. So as Mike has read in the scriptures for us, uh, and to remind us, um, God created everything, including man, very good. Essentially, uh, the Bible teaches that we were made in God's image. You know, what does that mean exactly? I think shorthand. Uh, you can say, one, that we're, we're essentially vice-regents meant to rule 
um, for God in the garden to keep and to tend it. And secondly, there was uh, an ability, ability and responsibility to mirror God and his character. Um, that uh, was our task as image bearers, and we had the ability to do so. Now, we all know that there was a command, uh, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Could somebody give me Genesis 2, 15 through 17? Jillian. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Amen. So we have uh, a very clear uh, rule set down from God. You don't eat of this tree. We got all these other great trees for food. Uh, nothing from them is withheld. Uh, the one rule. And as for man's ability uh, to do this, uh, he has essentially at this point uh, an ability to follow the rule, the ability not to sin, but also the ability to sin, though his inclinations are towards God. Essentially, of course, man has free will. Now, that's a loaded term, we know. Uh, we will define it simply as the ability to make voluntary uh, decisions free from external constraint or coercion. Now, of course, there's an Arminian strand that sees free will um, as something which we have to, that we can, our inclinations are such, the Arminians will teach that uh, we can cooperate with God or not uh, in our fallen state, that we can be obstreperous, we can refuse to cooperate, but it really rests with man, uh, this idea of free will. Uh, they sort of the rich man and the beggar, that the beggar, the Arminians has to choose to reach out his hand. Uh, to the rich man, whereas we would say with God as the rich man and us being the beggar, when God changes our hearts, when God does that, the beggar cannot not want to reach out his hand there. So we essentially see a difference, a humanist idea that man is the ultimate uh, autonomous norms, or in the Armenian thought, and that this idea of self-actualization uh, is the ultimate good. I don't know about you, but I would not want to depend on my self-actualization uh, to establish anything, much less a matter as important as one's salvation there. And of course, that's our state, but in this state, you know, man uh, has these two abilities to sin and not to sin. Uh, now, why is it so important, you might ask, that we understand this fall of man and his conditions? Well, Ursinus gives a good little outline for us on that. Uh, he says that it may be manifest in the first place that we understand that we were created without sin. And um, therefore, God is not the author of our sin, corruption, or misery. God is not the author of that. That we may see what height and dignity, to what a depth of misery we have fallen by sin, 
And that by seeing that, we thus can acknowledge the mercy of God who has deigned to extricate us from this wretchedness through his Son. That we may then acknowledge the greatness and benefits which we as God's people have received and our unworthiness of being made the recipients of such favor, how we don't deserve that favor at all but that we may earnestly desire and seek Christ and the recovery of the dignity and happiness that we have lost. And finally, that we can be thankful to God for this restoration. That's his summary there. Now, we, act, we have the fall, right? Our first parents uh, eat the apple, the forbidden fruit. Um, so just a question, at what point do you think they sinned? prior to eating the fruit, the actual eating of the fruit, or after eating? Where did sin enter into if you had to venture an educated guess there? Prior. Okay. And your reasoning, Rhonda May? Well, <clears throat> you are lusting after something that you have been forbidden to do so you had to conceive it in your mind before you pulled the beautiful flesh off the tree and um, ate it. Now that's Rhonda's on it this morning. Uh, look how Augustine uh, from the city of God puts it uh, to this question. He says it was in secret that the first human beings began to be evil. And the result was that they slipped into open disobedience, for they would not have arrived at the evil act if an evil will had not preceded it. And Augustine goes on, Now could anything but pride have been the start of an evil will? For pride is the start of every kind of sin there. Uh, so... Rhonda and Augustine are in accord, so the universe is a line there. Yeah, maybe it was when Satan planted the seed in Eve's mind that she could be like God. No, that's when that seed's planted and you start to believe it. No, I think that's a good point. That's a good point right there. Now, you know, some people in the world would say, yeah, he ate an apple. Why is that a big deal? to God. Well, first we see what we just talked about, this idea of pride, this ambition, this admiration of self where our first parents wanted to be like God. Uh, that is a big deal, uh, that pride and ambition uh, to not be happy with a vice regent role in paradise, uh, but to want to be like God in power and esteem. Of course, also unbelief is a big deal, right? Because what Julian just read uh, to us, God said that, hey, if you eat, what's going to happen? You will surely die. That's right. Um, so how can you, you know, after being um, talking with the serpent, um, yeah, you will not, what? You're not, it's going to happen to you. That you know, the act of doing it expresses unbelief. Because if I told you that I've poisoned 
that coffee back there this morning. And if you drink it, you will surely die. I mean, if you believe me, what are you going to do? You're going to stay away from that pot, right? But if you drink it, oh, watch, just he kidding us again. Let's go have a cup of coffee. Unbelief uh, by Adam and Eve that these consequences would follow. That's a big deal. Uh, Further, it goes to contempt and disobedience of God, that uh, God has given one simple command, uh, has bestowed great benefits otherwise, but they treat him with contempt and just disobey uh, as quick as they could here. You know, really, it's an ingratitude as well for these benefits received, uh, that you have this wonderful place to live, that, again, you're a vice-regent of it, of uh, but you're not thankful. You, there's something more that you want. Uh, God walks in the garden with you in the cool of the day, but no, I want more. I want more. It's ingratitude. It also shows sort of a lack of love for posterity, for Bill, for Julian, for Kirby, right? Because um, if you'd not eaten of the tree, right, then in, of course, theory there, we could all still be in the garden, right? Uh, but it's, ah, I'm not worried about my children, their grandchildren, generations. Uh, I want to be like God. So just a total lack of what the consequences would be for their offspring, their offspring, etc. Again, this lack of love for posterity. You know, paints a pretty bleak picture on why, you know, this was a big deal to God and is a big deal to God. Um, and it comes with you know, multiple consequences as we've talked about. As Ursinus mentioned, uh, and to put a little more on that, you know, this uh, going from divine height to these great depths uh, of misery, uh, this loss of freedom, a bondage to evil. Uh, again, man, as we talked about, had that ability to sin, the ability not to sin. Post-fall and prior conversion, we, we, can, we can only choose darkness and sin. Uh, we are in bondage, as Luther would say, to evil. Uh, our intellectual capacity is diminished. Again, we've talked about this, you know, total depravity doesn't mean as bad as you can possibly be, but it might you know, radical corruption might be a better phrase that, you know, our every S part of us uh, is infected from the fall. Uh, we don't have the intellectual ability that Adam has. Our minds don't function as clear uh, as he did. We have that diminishment. Um, of course, with the fall was this withdrawal of the grace of the garden uh, as they were given over to sin. You know, obviously the loss of paradise, huge consequence, you know, paradise. Um, this predilection to the sensuous uh, that we see. Physical death, as was promised. Um, you know, how many funerals do we attend throughout the year of loved ones and um, see the hurt and the pain there? And then, of course, this uh, hereditary guilt from the fall. Uh, you know, plus our own uh, sins. 
So, you know, these are major consequences that our first parents um, brought into the world. So, you know, this we see, of course, is original sin and uh, that we're infected with. And, of course, again, another loaded term we shall be careful with, but Ursinus gives a good job of defining it as essentially the guilt, he says, of the whole human race on account of the fall of our first parents. It consists in a want of the knowledge of God and his will in the mind and of an inclination to those things which the law of God forbids and an aversion to those things which it commands resulting from the fall of our first parents and from them made to pass over into their posterity, us, this corrupting of our whole nature, so that all, on account of this depravity, are subject to the eternal wrath of God. Uh, some, could someone turn to Psalm 51, uh, verse 5? Raise your hand and read that for us. Mike. Okay. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Men, we're sinful at birth, uh, as the scriptures say. Uh, Romans 5, 12 through 14, and 5, 19. Anybody turn to Romans real quick for us? Anybody? Romans 12, uh, uh, 5, 12 through 14, then 5, 19. Mr. Schwanbell. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Amen. So we see the scripture teaching here, uh, just as uh, we've seen in the uh, question that you know, sin entered the world through our first parents. It's... Uh, pulled us all down with them uh, as they were pulled down. We are sinful at birth. This is you know, not something that you have to be taught to sin, right? Uh, you know, it's uh, something you're born with there. And it could even worse, you know, what uh, this teaches, as we've talked about, our inclinations. Uh, our inclinations are not towards the things of God. Uh, even this sweet baby we've talked about this morning, uh, the, love, uh, the love child um, <laughs> that has been brought into the world. Uh, you know, we see a sweet little baby, but Grandpa's not going to have to teach that baby how to sin, right? That's already all about him. Yeah, <laughs> he's already got it. He's born with that inclination for self, self-centered. Uh, and not for the things of God. 
Uh, all of us are born into this world like that with inclinations that are counter to the things of God, right? Uh, so how do, we, how, is, how do we remedy that? What does the catechism teach us? Um, I think we know the answer, but let's look at the scripture. John uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, with his uh, chat with Nicodemus. Anybody have that for us? John 3, 5 through 8. And then if somebody could have ready Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 9. I'm not probably most a lot of you have that as a memory verse, but so hollow when you somebody has one of those. Edward. Okay, John uh, John three five through eight. Jesus answered, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit." Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Amen. Ephesians, anybody have that handy? 2, 8, and 9. Chapter 2. Chuck, back there. By grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of work, that no man can glory. Amen. So, what we're taught clearly from the scriptures with our inclinations set totally against the things of God, incapable of doing any good, and inclined to wickedness, uh, that we are without hope except as question eight says, that we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Um, what we just read in John chapter three, the new birth, being born again of the Spirit, and this grace uh, that saves us, as Chuck has read. Again, not something that we earn, not something that we do. It's uh, inclinations being changed from darkness to light by the work of the Spirit and God's choosing there. Of course, some might object, well, um, sure, you know, wicked people, you know, say Muslims, right, that don't know Jesus, don't want to know him the way we do. Don't they do some good works, right? They might open a hospital, do something like that. Uh, but that's not for the glory of the true God. That's... It's, you know, fine and well uh, in the world, but it's not for God's glory as when we act as Christians, that should be our motivation there. Yeah, with um, still the old man present in this world, are we going to have even our best deeds are going to be a mixed bag? True, but without the spirit, that cannot be sanctified to God. Uh, so we're thankful for the Spirit working there. We're thankful for this change in inclinations. And most of all, we're thankful for this grace by which we have been saved, knowing uh, as we've been taught uh, in these questions that you know, we can't earn it. We, we can't come close. Uh, we're, as we learned in Lord's Day 1, our state is complete misery 
except that we turn to Christ and trust in him. That's the only deliverance that we have in this world uh, is the um, power of God changing the human heart, uh, not with, in cooperation with us, but by a sovereign act. And I'm glad for that because if I had to cooperate, I'd mess, I'd mess it up, right? So, you know, thanks, thanks be to God for monergism. Amen? Amen. All right, guys, well, let's close in prayer and uh, enjoy a little bit more coffee and uh, get upstairs to find you a seat. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your work in us. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to depend on ourselves and us cooperating with you to be saved, Lord, that uh, it is of your doing and your choosing and all of your power. Lord, we can rest and have comfort in this because we know that you are strong. We know that you are good. So, Lord, we ask that you be with us as we go into worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.